For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Tanya said, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you here with us this morning. If you're a first-time guest, welcome, and thank you for choosing to spend this morning with us. And everyone viewing online, uh, we see you as well, and you're very much a part of what's going on here. So this morning, as we continue in our series, Hope Dealers, we're going to be looking at a topic that should be very familiar to all of us, especially given the past couple years, and that is suffering. We're going to be looking at suffering. And what do you feel when I say that word, suffering? How do you receive it? What does it make you think of? Isn't it amazing how we all can go through suffering differently? We can go through similar events. Maybe even two people can go through the same event. But how we respond to it, how that event makes us feel, may be completely different. The American Psychological Association defines suffering as the experience of pain or acute distress, either physical or psychological, in response to a physical trauma or significant event, particularly one that is threatening or involves loss. So what do you feel when you hear the word suffering? Is it physical? Is it psychological? Do you attribute it to yourself, or does it make you think of somebody else? Does it make you think of a specific time in your life, or is it just ongoing? How do you feel when you hear the word suffering? What does it make you think of? I know for me, I snapped back to when my oldest son, James, was just five years old. At that time in our family, he was diagnosed with an extremely rare eye disease. And it was basically uh, arthritis in his body, but it was just all attacking his eye. And if it was left untreated, then he would go blind. So you can imagine, we're young parents. This is our first child. We get this news when he's five years old. I don't know how many people here can relate to that, but having a young child who you really can't communicate with, you can't really, we couldn't really tell him what was going on, nor could we receive from him any sort of feedback to help with the process, right? The doctors were using those happy face charts, you know, on a scale of really angry to really happy, where do you fall? So we're beginning this journey of this, what is, he still has the disease, it's just a lifelong disease. And it stressed us out as parents. Like, what do we do? Not only that, but it was such a rare disease that we can't really, it's not just something you go into a normal doctor's office and say, my son has uveitis, what should I do? UV what? You know, like they just... 
They didn't know. As a result of that, he had some treatments along the way where we were treating it with steroid drops, which resulted in a cataract, which then resulted in my five-year-old son needing cataract surgery. I specifically remember the day of the surgery because my wife was pregnant at the time, and go figure, five, four more boys. So she was pregnant at the time. So I had to go into the surgery with him. And I was the dad. That's what they called me. The nurses called me the dad. All right, dad, you're going to go in with your son. You're going to go with James, right, dad? So one nurse sat me off to the side while James was getting ready in the bed. She sat me down. She was very intentional to explain to me everything that was going to happen as he was put under for the surgery. She's just step by step going through it. Okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be, you're going to be near his head. We're going to start to administer the gas, and then you're going to, uh, we're going to tell him a story. I might count down from 10. You may see his eyes roll back in his head. He may start crying and panicking, but don't worry, all perfectly normal, okay? Okay, you got, and I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, I got it. You're really drilling this into me, but I'm pretty sure I can handle this. So the time comes where they wheel him into the room and, and I'm in all garbed up behind him and I sit down at his head and everything's happening just like she explained. Thankfully, he didn't cry, his eyes didn't roll back, it just looked like he went to sleep. I don't remember anything after that. Next thing I remember, there was a nurse in the doorway. Doctors were all coming in and she was just saying, all right, dad, all right, dad, come on. All right, Dad, time to go now. Time to go now, Dad. We got to... I was just sitting there. It was like I was in shock, completely like traumatized by that experience of seeing my son be put to sleep for a surgery. And this is a lifelong thing that we had been suffering with, suffering together as a family. And there I was sitting there, and I didn't know where to put it. I didn't know where to put the trauma. I didn't know how to deal with it. What do I do, right? I was literally in shock. She had to drag me out and call me out. I bring that up because we all put our suffering somewhere. We all experience suffering differently. And then what do we do with it? How do we process it? How do we carry it? We're the type that just perseveres. We just pull up our bootstraps and just say, all right, I'm just gonna plow right through this. Everything's fine, everything's fine. Or do we avoid it? We all know that the, the result of that is that the, all of the suffering and hurt and the pain just ends up coming out sideways through addictions or distractions or justifications. So how do we process it? What do we do with it? How do we handle suffering? I know there's some of us here this morning who may be grieving. Maybe suffering through grief and loss. Do you feel that grief in a specific part of your body? Does it keep you up at night? Some of us here this morning may be experiencing mental illness or anxiety or depression. How does that affect your life? Does it affect every area of your life? Is it crippling? Is it just like a record that keeps skipping in your mind? This hurt and distress, does it make you depressed? Do you feel defeated? Do you feel hopeless? 
thankfully, this morning, we get to hear from the Apostle Paul. And as we continue in our series called Hope Dealers, we're going to see how Paul responds to hardship. We're going to see how Paul responds to difficulty and to suffering. You'll remember from last week, as Pastor Josh was teaching, he explained how Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians while in prison. And while in prison, it was up to your friends and your family to provide, for, to, to care for you, for your clothing, for your food, for your health. So as we read about Paul's suffering, or as we read Paul's response to his friends who are coming alongside him in his suffering, I want you to think of one word. That one word is perspective. Paul's friends are sending gifts and joining in his suffering. Now, undoubtedly, they wanted to receive word back from him. They wanted to hear, how are you doing? Give us an update. You're suffering. But look how Paul starts off. Still in chapter 1 of Philippians, starting in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, yes, this is what they're saying, like, Paul, tell us what's happening. Tell us how you are suffering. Tell us what's going on. Tell us how we can come alongside you in your suffering. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Paul doesn't start writing about his suffering. He doesn't even go into detail as far as what he's talking about when he says, what has happened to me? But what he wants them to know is that it has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly, even in the midst of hardship and imprisonment, in the midst of suffering. Paul encourages his friends, the Philippians, to celebrate with them the fact that the gospel is moving forward and the gospel is being preached. This is what one author calls Paul's divine perspective. This is Paul's divine perspective. Is one where nothing in God's economy goes to waste, not even his suffering. Now, I feel the need to pause here for a moment and just explain that word, gospel. The gospel is the good news that while we were sinful and separated from God, Jesus' death and resurrection makes a way for us to experience a relationship with God both now, in this life, and into eternity. The gospel is important for how we think about our own suffering. Because one, the gospel works through our suffering. That's what Paul is celebrating and rejoicing with in his friends. That's his divine perspective. So as we look at how Paul is responding to his situation, his own suffering, we see that the gospel works through our suffering. A divine perspective is that there is a divine purpose to our suffering. Paul believed this, that nothing goes to waste. We read on this same idea as Paul continues in his letter. 
Verse 15, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. He's sharing with the Philippians the glory revealed through his suffering. The fact that the gospel is being preached through his suffering. Paul's looking at the, all of the brokenness and suffering that he's experiencing. He's in prison, writing to his far-off friends. He's also sharing word, and he doesn't share specifics, but he's sharing words that the way that the gospel is being preached and the way that the gospel is moving is through some teachers with false motives who are kind of out to get him, using this as an opportunity to hurt Paul. But what's his perspective, his divine perspective? So what does it matter? What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Because he knew that God works through our suffering. Have you ever had a season of suffering? And I know that some of you are in the midst of this season now, so it may be hard to see it this way. But I know for us, going through a season of suffering and then being able to look back and say, in a weird way, I'm actually glad that happened. In a really weird way, like where would I be in my own faith? Where would I be in my own relationship with God had I not suffered through that? I remember getting to the point later on in our, in our medical journey with our son's eye disease, I remember getting to the point where I was pacing around the house and I was frustrated and I was confused and I didn't know what to do. And I was crying out to God, I'm like, I, I just can't make sense of this. I can't make sense of this. What am I supposed to do? I trust you, I love you, I believe in you, but I also know where my son is at and I know we're not getting answers. What do I do? Where do I put this? And I believe in that moment that God pressed on my heart. Something special. God pressed in my heart that divine perspective because I remember just responding, almost responding to myself as I was praying. And I said, you know what, God? I would gladly give up my son's eyesight to know that he is in a relationship with you. I would gladly give that up. And now we're at the point where my son's been able to receive the love, the care, the community. He's received God's love in so many different ways because of this disease. And now he's walking with the Lord. Now, I don't know how much of that to attribute to, but it's pretty amazing. I look back and I say, man, I'm, I'm glad we suffered through that for his faith and for our own faith. Paul then goes on to share more of his perspective and how he's able to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Picking up in the, the second half of verse 18 where he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on the... If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul says it himself. He's torn. He's evaluating his current situation, imprisonment, separation from friends, death, life. But the way Paul puts it is he's caught up in this win-win situation. He's saying, if I live, great. I get to preach the gospel of Christ. If I die, great. I get to experience the fullness of Christ. Paul's divine perspective is wrapped up in his identity in Christ. His hope in Christ and his hope and the promises of Christ seem to diminish his suffering. See, here's the second thing that Paul's divine perspective points us towards, is that the gospel meets us in our suffering. Because when we talk about this hope in Jesus, we're, we're not talking about, we're not only talking about some far-off future event that we're crossing our fingers and just hoping for the best. When we talk about our hope in the gospel, the way that the Bible puts it is our hope is a confidence in who God is and that his promises are true. And the good news of the gospel is that God meets us where we're at. Jesus came to us. Jesus lived with us. Jesus suffered for us, and he gives us his spirit to comfort and empower us. Our identity is wrapped up in this amazing truth. And the gospel meets us in our suffering. Philippians 1.21 is one of the more quoted verses in the New Testament where Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is Paul being wrapped up in his identity of the gospel, meeting him in his suffering. Paul knows who he is. Paul knows who he identifies with. And that's what frames this win-win situation. If I live, great, Christ if I die, great, I'm with Christ. It's all about the gospel and it's all about Jesus Christ. His whole life is just framed with that, that identity. He's choosing to trade his present situation for the promise of hope. One commentary says that these words are Paul's Heartbeat, Like you can feel Paul's heart beating in the rhythm of these words. And what's interesting is that if we 
hear this phrase in the original language that it was penned, it's even more emphasized. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, and I had to do some digging around to find this, but what I found was pretty cool, and that is in the original language, this verse reads, Zao to live, Christos, Christ, Apathnesco, to die, Kerdos, gain. Zao to live, Christos, Christ, Apathnesco, to die, Kerdos, gain. Zao, Christos, Apathnesco, Kerdos. Zao, Christos, Apathnesco, Kerdos. I can just imagine Paul in his jail cell saying these words, beating these words into the rhythm of his life. You know, who knows, maybe the imperial guards overheard him just saying this. And they said, what are, you, what are you saying? What are you building your life around? As Paul knew that Jesus was there with him in his suffering. And Paul knew his identity in Jesus, which diminished, seemed to diminish all that was happening around him. Reading on in verse 27, Paul says just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord. I love this word, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. In writing to his dear friends, the Philippians, Paul encourages them to remain in the gospel. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't just walk the walk, talk the talk. He's saying if you believe in this same win-win situation, then live it. And live it together. He's telling us the same. Because here's the last thing that Paul's divine perspective teaches about suffering is that the gospel brings us together in our suffering. The gospel, the good news that while we were sinful and separated from God, Jesus' death and resurrection provided a way for us to experience fullness of relationship with God in this life into eternity. Paul says in verse 27 that we're united in the gospel in one spirit. Think back to Last week, when, we were, when Pastor Josh was teaching about friendship, Paul's friendship with the Philippians, Josh said that a friend is safe, gives you their best, and brings out the best in you. The gospel brings us together in our suffering, bearing one another's burdens, sharing in our sufferings, not in isolation, not alone. In fact, Paul's example shows us that even in his isolation of being miles away from his dear friends, locked up in a jail, in a jail cell, 
He's able to find hope and community. And he's encouraging his friends to do the same. The gospel works through our suffering. The gospel meets us in our suffering and the gospel brings us together in our suffering. So as we close, I wanted to point out one last thing. And it's in these final verses where Paul says that it's been granted to us on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. It's been granted to us to suffer for him. Isn't that weird language? Aren't we normally granted something that we already want access to? How many of us would say, yeah, I need a little bit more suffering in my life? God, would you, would you grant me more suffering? What an interesting perspective to have. And here's something worth writing down, is that God uses suffering as an opportunity to grow in hope. I think there's some of you this morning that need to hear that, that God uses suffering. What Paul is showing us is that God uses suffering as an opportunity to grow in hope. It's because as much as we've been talking about suffering in these verses, they're really about hope. They're about the hope of the gospel. This was Paul's divine perspective. This is how Paul saw his situation. This is how Paul wanted the Philippians to see their situation, and this is how God wants us to view our suffering. God uses suffering as an opportunity to grow in hope. So then, don't waste your suffering. I know that that in the midst of suffering, we, we feel defeated. In the midst of suffering, we may even feel abandoned by God. But don't see suffering as defeat. Don't see suffering as abandonment from God. See suffering as an opportunity, and an opportunity to grow in hope. In this series, we're studying the book of Philippians. And the hope that the good news of the gospel brings to a broken world. So be, be my prayer and hope that we are rooted in these truths, that we are rooted in our identity in Christ, that we are rooted in community, and that we see our suffering as an opportunity for growth, that we are able to apply Paul's divine perspective in our own lives. An author, Tony Meredith, said that, he said to see your circumstances as God-ordained opportunities. And this doesn't mean that God causes our suffering, but what we learn from Paul is that God definitely allows and he uses our suffering, and he uses our suffering to grow us in hope. Believe that, that nothing in God's economy goes to waste, not even our suffering. If you take out your Connect card this morning, you'll see uh, a word on there. 
perspective. Now through, like I said, we're, we're further on in that medical journey. My, my son's now 16. Navigating this disease is a lot different than when we were navigating it at five years old. But, now, but looking back, I'm able to see different perspectives that God was able to place in my life. Different things that I were, was able to do to maintain and sustain that perspective. So this morning, under the next step, if you check off that perspective box, we're going to send out an email, and I'm just going to share a little bit of, of how I was able to maintain looking back. Trust me, it wasn't perfectly but I'm grateful to be able to look back and see how God was able to, to move and to work and to sustain that perspective through that time. So we're going to send an email out tomorrow for anyone who checks that box, perspective. But right above that, you'll see the box that says, begin a relationship with Jesus. And if you're viewing online, the Connect card is right up in the top right-hand side of the screen. It's a link that you can click. But above that box perspective, you'll see begin a relationship with Jesus. And if we've talked a lot about the gospel this morning. And if this is something that you're hearing for the first time, is this is something that you want to know more about, or if you want to make a decision this morning, then check off that box. And it's going to be our joy to follow up with you. In a moment, the worship team is going to lead our closing song. And it's a song called The Blessing. And it's a song that's just a prayer of blessing. And I believe that there are some people this morning that just need to receive that prayer. So I'd invite you to do just that. Don't feel like you have to sing. Maybe you just need to receive those words. And maybe there are some of us here who, who know someone who, who needs to hear those words. So I'd invite you to join with us and sing. Sing over one another. When we're finished and when we close out the gathering, we're going to have some of our prayer team up front, and I'll be up front here as well. And if we're going to create an opportunity that if you would like to receive some prayer with one of us, you can step forward. But now let's stand together and sing.